So Exodus 25, 1 to 22. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen. Goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather. Acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold moulding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet, with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. Then put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law, which I will give you. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. And make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put it in the ark, uh, and put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law that I will give you. There, above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. Exodus chapter 40, 1 to 38. Then the Lord said to Moses, Set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the first month. Place the ark of the covenant law in it and shield the ark with the curtain. Bring in the table and set out what belongs on it. Then bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. Place the gold altar of incense in front of the ark of the covenant law and put the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. Place the altar of burnt offering in front of the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Set up the courtyard around it and put the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. Consecrate it and all its furnishings and it will be holy. Then anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils. Consecrate the altar and it will be most holy. Anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate them. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then dress Aaron in the sacred garments, anoint him and consecrate him so he may serve me as priest. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics. Anoint them just as you anointed their father so they may serve me as priests. Their anointing will be to a priesthood that will continue throughout their generations. Moses did everything just as the Lord had commanded him. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. When Moses set up the tabernacle, he put the bases in place, erected the frames, inserted the crossbars, and set up the posts. 
Then he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering over the tent as the Lord commanded him. He took the tablets of the covenant law and placed them in the ark, attached the poles to the ark and put the atonement covering over it. Then he brought the ark into the tabernacle and hung the shielding curtain and shielded the ark of the covenant law as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the curtain and set out the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. He placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the curtain and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord commanded him. Then he put up the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt offering near the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered on it burnt offerings and great offerings as the Lord commanded him. He placed the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. And Moses and Aaron and his sons used it to wash their hands and feet. They washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting or approached the altar, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. Good evening, my name's Jeff. Great to be with you tonight. I'm the pastor of Uni Church, and uh, it's my privilege to be taking us through uh, not just that section that was read, but uh, really a large chunk of the book of Exodus. Uh, tonight we're looking at uh, the tabernacle, which takes up 13 chapters of Exodus. Uh, 30% of the whole book is on the instructions on how you build this thing, and then the actual doing of it. Israel uh, putting it together. And so we're going to spend some time thinking about uh, how that works. Uh, I want to start with a question though. Where is home for you? When I say the word home, uh, where is the place that jumps to mind? Is uh, Maybe home is back on the farm. Uh, maybe home is where you live right now. Maybe home is a childhood uh, house. Uh, where is that place where you find rest, where as soon as you go there, you, you immediately, you can switch off, you feel comfortable, because that's that feels like home. Where is that place for you? We're going to reflect on that question tonight. Uh, first, we're going to dig into this uh, big chunk of Exodus, and to do so, we're going to do a bit of a walkthrough. Uh, we're going to do a walkthrough in three different ways. We're going to do a physical walkthrough to understand God. We're going to do a literary walkthrough to understand the goal, and then we're going to do a biblical walkthrough uh, to understand the gospel. And if that all seems uh, highly complicated now, don't worry, as we get to each one, it will all make sense. I promise. First, a physical walkthrough the tabernacle to understand God. Well, uh, what does a building tell you, right? What does this building tell you about UWA? Uh, 
that says a number of things, doesn't it? You know, as, as you approach, you see all the sandstone, kind of big imposing buildings, and it has this, it's telling you that it's old and important and kind of venerable. Uh, but then, obviously, you walk inside and uh, it's just this, and you realise that mostly the uni is about efficiency and cost-effectiveness and uh, mass communication. You've got this huge big screen on the back, that's the main feature, lots of chairs, devices at the front. It's a highly functional kind of space. But architecture and aesthetics are always trying to tell you something. I'm sure the lurid green chairs are trying to tell us something at the moment. I don't know what that means. Uh, But they tell you something about a place and the people behind it. And that's true of God. As he gives these instructions for the tabernacle, uh, the building of the tabernacle tells us something about God. So what does it tell us? Well, if you were to do a walkthrough of the tabernacle, uh, the first thing that you'd notice is God's glorious presence. God's glorious presence. It's everywhere. The whole thing is writ large with it. You see it in the materials, all the gold, uh, just the expense of the place, uh, the bright linen, the gemstones. It shouts out glory. God is glorious when you come here. It's like the LED lights at the uh, Perth Stadium. Uh, They tell you something. They tell you that something spectacular happens here each week. Uh, And the tabernacle tells you that God's glorious presence is here. Um, Here is... uh, If this looks like someone has constructed a a full-size model of the tabernacle and put it inside a building so with chairs all around, uh, that's what it is. Um, Someone has done this uh, somewhere... And it looks amazing, doesn't it? Uh, It's glorious. Uh, As you kind of dig into the detail, if we were to read out all 13 chapters, we'd see that there's cherubim uh, there. They're kind of woven into the fabrics. Uh, Cherubim were thought of as the angelic attendants of God's throne room. And so everywhere you go, there's there's symbols that God is is there. And... uh, it's laid out, the whole place is laid out like this. Uh, so you have these different zones, it's kind of the outer courtyard, but then uh, you move in and the, there's the holy place and then further back, kind of separated by all these curtains, there's the most holy place. And uh, in the most holy place is, is this box, the, the Ark of the Covenant with the two stone tablets of the covenant inside. And uh, we're told in that part that we had read out that that's where God's uh, glory will be. His his presence will reside uh, there above the Ark of the Covenant. So chapter 25, verse 21 says this, Place the cover on top of the Ark and put uh, put in the Ark the tablets of the Covenant law that I will give you. There, above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Covenant law, I will meet with you. I'll meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. So the design, the furnishings, everything uh, is, is to show us that this is a place where God will meet with his people. Uh, in London, uh, they fly the royal standard uh, over Buckingham Palace whenever the Queen is in residence. Um, actually, they fly it where, wherever she is. So if she's driving in a car, there's a little flag on the bonnet. Uh, to tell you that the Queen's in that car. Uh, 
And God's presence is there in the temple and the ark is the symbol that that's where he is. Wherever the ark is, that is where God uh, will meet with his people. The ark is his footstool and he is enthroned above. So you walk through and you see God's glorious presence. The other thing you see uh, as you walk physically through the tabernacle, you see God's gracious atonement. Because there's a problem with the tabernacle, I'm not sure if you noticed it, uh, but there's a lot of separation. You can't just wander straight up to the ark, right? Uh, if you look back at the thing, there's, there's curtains and there's these zones and each zone is, is restricted and not everyone can go in there, only the priests and then only the high priest. Uh, the whole point is that God's presence is there but he's holy, he's separate and the sinful people of Israel can't just wander up to him. It's a bit like a, an operating theatre, uh, that's another kind of holy place um, because it has to be separate um, it has to be different, it has to be free from contamination. And so you can't just kind of, I can't just rock up in these clothes and, and wander into an operating theatre. Uh, if you want to go there, you need to get ready, you need to uh, scrub your hands and do that whole thing where you like, clean all the way up your arm and you have to get ready if you're going to approach. And that's true of approaching God as well. There is a process for cleansing. The problem is with people. The human inclination to pride, doing things our own way and not God's way, our inclination to evil and selfishness. What it means is we can't be in God's presence. And yet the idea of a tabernacle is that God will be present there, that that's where he'll dwell. And so as you walk through the tabernacle, you see that it's built for atonement. It's built for atonement. Atonement is the, the big uh, word that uh, describes the process of putting people right with God. That is, uh, uh, some, a sacrifice needs to be made in order uh, for forgiveness to be given, for that price to be paid. And so uh, there's an altar as you walk through where sacrifices are made. Uh, forgiveness is, is bought with the blood of animals. There's a washing basin as, as you approach the holy place. The whole thing uh, shows this process of how you make people fit to approach God. And so along with his glory, we see uh, something of God's grace. Uh, this uh, tabernacle is designed to put people right with God to make people fit for the presence of an awesome and holy God. Uh, you get that in hospitals as well. The whole thing is set up so that as you approach, you get yourself ready. And so every doorway you go through, there's the hand sanitizer thing, which you have to, every time you walk through, there's a process for cleansing. Uh, and the tabernacle is designed to clean sinful people so they're ready to approach God. Uh, so that's the physical walkthrough. Uh, we see those two things, God's glorious presence and God's gracious atonement. Uh, but what the physical design uh, doesn't really tell you is the goal. Uh, what's the goal of this building? 
And so for that, we need a literary walkthrough. Uh, That is, we need to ask the question, uh, how does Exodus tell us about this design? Because God uh, could have just given Moses a sketch, um, uh, kind of a design drawing, and maybe that would have been uh, simpler for construction purposes. Uh, But he doesn't do it like that. Instead, we have all these uh, chapters telling us about uh, how to do it, and then Israel doing it, and they're told in a particular way, a particular way to to give us uh, some meaning. And so we want to see the goal that's there. So let's have a look at the text, a literary walkthrough. Uh, One thing that you notice is that the Sabbath makes an appearance. Um, Check it out, chapter 31. You can flick there. This is at the end of the the set of instructions uh, on how you build this tabernacle and uh, at the end of that there's the kind of golden calf incident and then afterwards we have the actual construction after uh, Moses manages to intercede for the Israelites after they've uh, sinned with the golden calf. And so at the end of this section of instructions uh, we get this from verse 16. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant it will, be, it will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. Uh, so it's slightly unexpected that the Sabbath makes an appearance there, and then uh, when we go to Israel actually constructing it, before we get into that, uh, the Sabbath is mentioned again. And so we have these two mentions of the Sabbath, either side of the golden calf incident. Uh, Why is that? Uh, Why all these building instructions? And then a reminder that uh, God created the world in six days and then he rested and was refreshed. Uh, It seems out of place. Uh, But if you do a little bit more digging into the text, you find some other Uh, things that are interesting to note and put together. So, uh, have a look there at verse 12 of chapter 31. It starts off and it says, uh, Then the Lord said to Moses... Uh, So these instructions come with with that instruction, the Lord said to Moses. And what we find is that is the seventh time that we have that instruction. So seven times God says a word to Moses about what he's to do. Uh, Seven is a really significant number in the Bible, but you think, okay, maybe that's just coincidence, let's not uh, read too much into this. Uh, But then, as you look through, there are echoes of creation everywhere. This pattern of uh, six days of work and then a seventh day of rest, and so the priests consecrate themselves for seven days. And uh, just like in creation... Uh, God makes the Garden of Eden and there's a gate on the east of Eden and the tabernacle's built the same way, with a gate on the east. Uh, In chapter 39, uh, after Israel has built everything, Moses uh, looks at the work, he he sees it and he blesses it in the same way that uh, God sees his creation in Genesis chapter 1 and he declares that it's good. And in chapter 40, verse 33... Uh, we're told uh, that Moses finished the work. 
And that is almost exactly the same expression as in Genesis chapter 2, when it says that God finished the work of creating. And so we have these echoes of creation all through the tabernacle construction. And you think, why is that? Why is it told in this way? It's a little bit like watching Stranger Things. I haven't seen Stranger Things. It's way too scary for me. Uh, Anything scarier than Harry Potter, I cannot watch. I also haven't watched Harry Potter. (laughs) Too scary. Uh, But I understand that in Stranger Things, uh, you can watch it. It's a great story, right? Um, But if you grew up in the 80s, then there's heaps of pop culture references that you just uh, automatically see and you notice them. Um, the way that it's presented reminds you of the 80s. And it's like that. This tabernacle construction is presented in a way to remind you of creation, to draw your mind back to the Garden of Eden. So now we're talking. Now, Now I think we're getting in there. God is doing something incredible here in the tabernacle. He's not just putting up a tent for Israel to use in worship. It's not even just that there's this kind of way to access God now. It's that he's recreating Eden. God is recreating Eden. God's goal is nothing less than uh, that ultimate aim of all creation, to have a place where people can dwell with God and enjoy his presence. To have a place where Uh, People, the creatures that he's made can enjoy his rest and the tabernacle is that place for Israel. It is their place of rest where they can dwell with God. That's the goal of the tabernacle, this place of rest for Israel, the place where they enjoy God together. So that's the literary walkthrough. We've had the physical walkthrough, uh, the literary walkthrough, and we've seen that the, the tabernacle is like a new Eden. And what we're going to do now is finish with a biblical walkthrough uh, to understand the gospel, how the gospel comes to bear on this. Uh, because that goal of, of rest, of a place uh, where God can dwell with people, that is a thing that runs the whole way through the Bible. Uh, through the rest of the Old Testament, uh, through the temple, and it reaches its climax in Jesus. And so we're going to do this biblical walkthrough and see uh, how the tabernacle gets used in the rest of the Bible and especially in the New Testament. Because when we see Jesus, we see the fulfilment of everything that was promised uh, in the tabernacle. So let's have a look. Firstly, uh, we turn to the New Testament and we see that God's glorious presence is there in the person of Jesus. God's glorious presence is there in the person of Jesus. So if you have a Bible, turn with me. We're going to flick around a little bit in the New Testament now. Uh, uh, Turn to John chapter 1. I'll flick two, so you only need to beat me. John chapter one. So John starts off his biography about Jesus, uh, and he starts by talking about the Word. John one one. Uh, In the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, he, so he introduces this Word, who is God himself, uh, full of the glory of God. Uh, but the shock comes in verse 14. It says this, uh, This Word that's there from the beginning, who himself is God, uh, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, that word for uh, dwelling, uh, there is, is the same word in Greek that gets used to describe the tabernacle. That is, uh, literally, it, it means uh, the, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, came and made his presence there with us. So all the, uh, the glory of the tabernacle, all the gold, the cherubim, everything is pointing forward to Jesus. Uh, the New Testament writers in describing the life of Jesus point that out. They say that God's glory is here, in him. Uh, if you were alive at the right time in the right place, if you'd lived in Palestine in 33 AD, uh, you could have walked around seen the glory of God if you met Jesus. If you'd known, you would have fallen on your face in awe. You would have left everything to follow him, to see the glory of God. You could have seen the glory of the one enthroned between the cherubim, that same glory, Uh, lifted up and crucified between two criminals. God's glory was on display in the person of Jesus, even there on the cross. Because Jesus is the fulfilment not just of uh, God's glorious presence on earth, but also God's gracious atonement in his work on the cross. He's the one providing atonement, that sacrifice to draw us near to God, to make that possible. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. We'll see that. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. Hebrews has a book, uh, talks a lot about uh, the tabernacle and what it means and how uh, Jesus kind of brings that to fulfilment. Hebrews 9, verse 11. But when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus attaining eternal redemption. So in one sense, uh, Jesus is the tabernacle. Uh, That is, he brings God's glorious presence. That's where you can go to meet God. But in another sense, uh, Jesus works in the tabernacle uh, as the high priest. He doesn't work in the man-made tabernacle, not the tent. He works in the real one. He works in heaven. See, the the tabernacle, uh, even from the beginning, was just a copy, a shadow of 
the one in heaven. That's where God really dwells, in heaven. And so uh, that's why the tabernacle had to be made precisely, all these instructions about make it exactly according to the pattern I show you. That's what God said to Moses. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Because the pattern is heaven itself. And uh, Jesus doesn't go into the tabernacle, he goes into heaven itself and he makes his sacrifice of himself there. That's why his work is so effective, because it's not just done in the, in the copy, it's made in the real thing. It's the difference between doing uh, a trial in a moot court here at uni uh, versus actually going to the High Court of Australia. Uh, One follows the patterns and one is the real thing. And the impact of that is confidence. Confidence for anyone who's trusting in Jesus because uh, the Christian can have complete confidence in what Jesus has done because his sacrifice uh, isn't just kind of taken through the tent into the most holy place, past the curtains. His sacrifice is taken before God's throne room itself to heaven. And so... Hebrews can say, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Thus obtaining eternal redemption. Uh, That's where it lands. Because Jesus' work in the heavenly tabernacle makes us fit for an eternity with God. And so that's where our biblical walkthrough ends, uh, at the end of the Bible. So flick with me to Revelation chapter 21 and 22. very last chapters of the Bible. So these two amazing chapters, we see uh, this picture of uh, the final uh, rest, this new creation that God is uh, bringing about where he will finally bring peace and rest for his people. And the picture is of a city that's uh, coming down out of heaven. And as you read these chapters, it's kind of half Eden, half tabernacle. Uh, that is, there's, there's a tree and there's a river of life, uh, all the things that you find in Eden. But then the, the tabernacle is uh, kind of there as well. All the materials are there, all the onyx stones and gemstones, all the gold, that's all embedded into the walls of this city. Um, but when you get there, you find that there's no tabernacle. Uh, there's, there's a trick. So read uh, with me chapter 21, verse 22. It says this, I did, not, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. That is, the tabernacle kind of gets to the end of the Bible and it's no longer needed. That's the point. Uh, There's no temple. Why? Because God himself is there. The lamb is there. And if the lamb is there, then you don't need a temple. And there's no restriction. You can go right up. Uh, Access to God has been achieved in this final uh, rest, this new creation home. And so for the Christian, uh, that is home. That's home. Uh, For all that you might uh, feel at home in the northern suburbs uh, or in Albany, um, wherever that is, 
our real home is in that new creation. That end point when uh, we are drawn to live with God for eternity because of what Jesus has done. That's our real home. Now, you might be thinking at this point, okay, thanks, Jeff. That's all great. Uh, but what does that do for me now? Right? That's, that's in the future. Uh, what does all of this have to do with my life now? How does it impact me? Uh, well, we kind of skipped over this in our biblical walkthrough, but when the New Testament talks about the dwelling place of God now, it doesn't talk about a, a building or a city. It talks about people. It talks about people. Because Jesus is the one who brings God's presence. And so now his spirit is the one who brings God's presence into people. So turn with me to Ephesians. This is our last flick. The book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Verse 21. Paul's just finished explaining how uh, people are saved uh, by trusting in Jesus and how um, he's created a new people uh, because of that. And this is how he wraps it up, verse 21. In him, in Christ, uh, the whole building is joined together. Uh, All those trusting in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That is, if if you're trusting in Jesus, uh, then you are the dwelling place of God, that by the spirit of Jesus, God comes to dwell within us. It's just astonishing, is it not? Uh, God has done something incredible here tonight. Uh, you might not have felt like it as you walked in, as you uh, shuffled past the, the piles of lost property that grace our entrance, as you pushed aside that black curtain that's there. Uh, you didn't feel like it, uh, but it was like walking into the most holy place. Not because there's anything special about this building or about this lecture theatre, uh, but because within the people of God... Uh, God's presence is there. He dwells with his people by his spirit. In fact, more than that, that uh, in all of your life, before you even got here tonight, if you have God's spirit inside you, if you're trusting in Jesus, then you are the dwelling place of God. Isn't that amazing? Now, there is heaps of stuff that we could talk about that flows out of that, that has a deep impact on our life right now. So uh, we could go into it and think, Uh, through how if God dwells within us, if we are the dwelling place of God, then how much does that mean that we sin should be so far from us? How could we use our bodies, which are the dwelling place of God, for, for sexual immorality, for porn? It's just shocking that we would live that way. No way. We've got to put a stop to that. The Bible goes into detail with that. Uh, We could point out how if God dwells amongst us together, amongst the people of God, then there's no place for racism or sexism amongst us. That is, if God gives his spirit freely to those who trust in Jesus and uh, call him Lord and Saviour, 
then we can't exclude people of a certain uh, race or uh, men or women on that account. Uh, the Bible goes into detail with, with that implication as well. But we're not going to finish on either of those two things that the Bible uh, kind of explains because uh, we want to finish uh, where the main point of Exodus is. And the point in Exodus uh, when describing the tabernacle, the point is to show Israel uh, where and how you meet with God. Where and how you meet with God. Uh, for them, that's the tabernacle, the, the sacrificial system um, the, that makes atonement for them so they can approach God. That's where and how you meet with God. But for us, it's in Jesus. There is no other way uh, to approach God. He is the glorious presence of God. He is the gracious atonement that God provides. And so all of our life and our worship has to be about Him. It has to be in Him. That's what uh, Ephesians says, in Him the whole building is joined together. In Him you're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. It's in Christ All of our life together needs to be centred around Jesus. That is where true worship takes place. So worship doesn't need to occur within a particular kind of building. You don't need to be in a church building. That's how we can have a church here in a lecture theatre every week um, because we're actually focused on Jesus. He's the one that provides God's presence and provides that gracious atonement so that we can uh, approach God. Uh, True worship can happen anywhere as long as it's focused on Christ. It can happen in a scungy old lecture theatre, it can happen in a school hall, it can happen in a prison, it can happen out in the field, it can happen in an underground church, it can happen in an office, in your workplace, at lunchtime, it can happen in a study room. Anywhere where you gather around Jesus by his word, uh, that's where you can meet together as God's people because God dwells within you by his spirit. And so as we finish Exodus, we need to finish with that reminder that Jesus must be at the centre of all that we do. Uh, In Exodus, the the tabernacle was to be in the centre of the camp. All of Israel were to camp around it and that was the middle where God's presence was. And so in the same way, Jesus must be the centre of everything that we do here at Uni Church, all of our life together. And the tabernacle wasn't just to be the centre, but it was meant to be this place of rest, a place of refreshment where people could go to enjoy God, to meet with Him, and to have sins forgiven. And so the question I want to leave you with tonight is, uh, is Jesus like that for you? Is Jesus your home? Is Jesus uh, the place that you run to, the person that you run to, uh, for rest and refreshment? Uh, When life is tough, when sin drags you down, is Jesus the one that you run to for forgiveness? Uh, When life is exciting and full of success, is Jesus the one that you 
uh, run to with thanks? Uh, Is he the one around whom you are most comfortable, you most feel at home? Because the Bible will say that that is our future. Our future home is with him, centred around him, glorifying him. And so let's do what we can to make now about that, centred around Jesus, enjoying him as our rest and refreshment now.